0: to say artificial superintelligence develops and perhaps even say takes over the world. Well, if AI systems are not conscious, that will be a world without consciousness.
1: Welcome to Alliance, a podcast about the humanities and existential risk. I'm Alice Evert. I'm Henry Tan. And we'll be your hosts Today we talk to Professor David Chalmers about philosophy and artificial intelligence. This podcast is brought to you by the Oxford Research Center in the Humanities and the Balliol Interdisciplinary Institute. Okay, Google. Are you conscious? Well, you're made up of cells and I'm made up of code. Siri?
0: I think so. Therefore, I might be.
1: Google Assistant and Siri are both AI-powered virtual assistants. AI is already here. In our phones, in our cars. At the chess table. But at the moment, it's what's called basic AI. It's limited. It's AI that can perform single tasks like playing Go or recognizing faces, and its level of intelligence is generally equal to or close to human level intelligence. What doesn't exist yet, and perhaps may never, is super intelligent AI, an AI system that would greatly exceed human intelligence in virtually all domains. This kind of AI, should it come to exist, could have grave unintended consequences. It could threaten our existence in human civilization. Before it exists, we need to think hard about the development and design of AI so we can avoid a future that puts us at risk.
2: Alice and I were lucky to Skype with David Chalmers, Professor of Philosophy and Neuroscience at New York University. He's also the co-director of the Center for Mind, Brain, and Consciousness. We're going to talk to him about how philosophy can contribute to AI research and development superintelligence, and whether AI could be conscious, and if so, what the implications would be for the existential risks that superintelligence might pose.
0: I don't draw a really tight division between what counts as philosophy and what counts as science and what counts as thinking in general. You know, I'm trained both in philosophy and in AI and connected areas.
1: The first question we wanted to ask was how exactly philosophy can contribute to understanding AI and all of its associated existential
0: risks. There's a few points where philosophy really connects to issues about AI and AI risk, especially. I mean, one is in question of ethics and values, where philosophers have thought a lot about ethical questions, about decision theoretic questions in general, which may well enter into thinking seriously about AI. And another cluster of issues. There's issues about, say, consciousness and intelligence and in general about the mind, what it is to have a mind, what it would be for an AI system to have a mind, and uh, you know what the chances are, for example, of achieving various kinds of mentality and intelligence in machines, let alone consciousness. That's a set of issues which I've thought about a lot, both in the context of AI and outside the context of AI. So those, I guess, are two points of contact. There are various other subsidiary points of contact when it comes to Thinking about AI, questions about, say, uploading, uploading of the mind into a machine. These raise issues about, say, personal identity over time, which have been very central to philosophical thinking. So what I actually find is that, you know, both traditional and novel issues in philosophy are raised all the time in these discussions as points of contact for the big old philosophical problems. And that you also find these issues throwing up new problems for a philosopher to chew over.
1: Out of the new problems that AI raises, what do you find to be the most interesting?
0: Oh, there are so many of them, but um, you know, one that I've been interested in is this question of whether artificial intelligence might rapidly lead to superintelligence.
1: The first argument for superintelligence was put forward in 1965 by the statistician I.J. Good. It's referred to as the intelligence explosion argument.
0: The intelligence explosion argument goes something like this. Once you've got machines which are smarter than humans, they'll be better than humans at designing machines. So they'll be able to design machines which are smarter than they are, iterate that process, and you're rapidly on a spiral to superintelligence. I think that's a very interesting, very new philosophical argument, and it raises great questions for a philosopher to come to grips with. So in one article I wrote a few years ago, I tried to lay that out as a philosophical argument. and. See, whether it works or not, or if it doesn't work, where could it go wrong? If there is some kind of gap between pure human-level intelligence and super-intelligence, where might that gap be? So I think that's a, it's a philosophical problem, and it's a new philosophical problem.
1: So this is the singularity that you're talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah. My, I called my paper The Singularity of Philosophical Analysis. I'm not sure whether this term singularity has gradually started going out of fashion I think it started to get just a little bit too much association with science fiction and uh, maybe hype in the eyes of people in this community and the eyes of the world more generally. So the Singularity Institute, which I think was actually doing a lot of interesting work, renamed itself the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, which sounds a bit more serious. Now I'm thinking maybe I should have called my article the intelligence explosion uh, philosophical analysis. But still quite like that idea of a... uh, of a singularity, this point where things rapidly go off to uh, to infinity, or at least rapidly off to a very high degree of, of who knows what in a very short time. I mean, you can take that idea of an intelligence explosion and combine it with the idea of a speed explosion. Things get faster and faster every generation. And as the AI systems get smarter and smarter, they'll produce faster and faster hardware. And you can, you can kind of combine these ideas and get to the point where suddenly it's, well, wow, In a very short period of time, intelligence and speed both rapidly iterate to a point where it seems as if things would go off to infinity, at least if it was possible, you could potentially start to approach the limits of physical systems. I find that all just philosophically fascinating. And the singularity concept does at least begin to encapsulate some of what's going on there.
1: In the paper you're talking about, you mentioned that not many academics had yet begun researching the singularity. I was wondering why you thought that was, and if you think it's starting to change in recent years.
0: Changing gradually, I would say. That was 2010 I wrote the paper. Especially then, uh, the idea had kind of a science fiction flavor to it. Certainly there are a few academics here and there. Someone like uh, Nick Bostrom, who's there at Oxford, has been one of the pioneers in this area, and he's working from an academic context. My advisor, Doug Hofstadter, at least thought about this stuff. It still had the sense of being a bit fringy. You know, academic philosophers certainly for the most part, weren't paying a lot of attention. And even AI researchers, I think, tended to think of the topic as out there. Since then, one thing that has certainly happened is that the idea of AI risk has, I think, become more mainstream. Back around that time, you know, maybe uh, eight or 10 years ago, it was associated very heavily, you know, terminator-like scenarios, machines taking over the world, and uh, both philosophers and AI researchers tended to stay away from it. Whereas I think that's now gradually approaching the mainstream. I mean, it's got attention from both philosophers like Nick Bostrom and AI researchers, some of whom, at least, have tried to really take these uh, ethical and safety issues seriously. I still think it's the case that many AI researchers feel someone uncomfortable with the issue, and they say, oh, at least super intelligent, not something we have to worry about now. But it's gradually, I think, approaching the mainstream there. So, you know, I think gradually people are getting involved, both on an academic level and also just on a practical level. Uh, There are conferences on making AI beneficial, where people from many different fields, including the industry and various areas of academia, came together to ask, what kind of guidelines can we actually formulate here to try and make the development of AI as beneficial as possible?
1: So philosophy can contribute to AI in quite a few ways. It has a lot to say about ethics and consciousness in the mind, which are more traditional subjects within philosophy. But it also has a lot to say about more novel topics in AI, like superintelligence, as you just heard. David Chalmers is one of the world's experts on consciousness, so we talked to him more about that. In terms of AI and consciousness, we're seeing the difference there between intelligence on the one hand and consciousness on the other. Do you think if an AI could have consciousness, do you think it would make a difference to the way it behaves?
0: It's a good question. I mean, no one to date has actually found a major function for consciousness, someone in the dark about what it is that consciousness does for you, tempting to say consciousness somehow enables you to perceive or to remember or to learn or to plan, but once it comes to, you know, studying mechanisms for these things, it looks like we can find uh, mechanisms for all of them that don't seem to give a central role for consciousness, and people have got fairly sophisticated perceptual or learning or memory systems that don't seem to give any special role to a... consciousness. Maybe there are functions like, say, introspection or reporting on oneself that might have some tie at least to self-consciousness. And some AI researchers have tried to bring in consciousness from that angle. Maybe it would be very useful for machines to have knowledge about their own internal processes. And you can see all kinds of functional advantages to that in reasoning and correcting your own reasoning for its own biases and so on. Maybe that's an element of self-consciousness well, that's still just one aspect of consciousness, as I think of it. I think of consciousness more generally as subjective experience, because we beyond beyond self-consciousness to include all kinds of consciousness of the world. I think it's fair to say that, you know, nobody knows exactly what it is the consciousness of this kind might do for an AI system.
1: If no one knows exactly what it is, is there any easy way or hard way to detect if something actually has consciousness?
0: No easy way, unfortunately. The best way we have in other human beings is to find out what someone is conscious of is to ask them. Uh, ask, you know, what are you experiencing now? You say, well, I'm feeling a sharp pain or I'm kind of hungry and this is what I see and this is what I'm thinking and and other things being equal, I, uh, I believe you. So we use verbal report there as a baseline because that works best. Human beings of a certain age who have got the ability to talk about their conscious state, it doesn't immediately transfer to other systems, to infants, to non animals, and indeed to AI systems. I and mean, it may be that one day we'll have AI systems that start to about their own mental states and maybe even report something like consciousness. They start saying, say, start say uh, yeah, when I get this image from the world, I'm actually it actually looks a certain way to me and I experience a subjective quality. Oh, boy, I know in principle I'm just a bunch of silicon circuits, but... So much more. Well, if an AI system started saying things like that, I'd, I'd start to take the possibility that it's conscious, at least very seriously. Some people have proposed this kind of thing as a test, an artificial consciousness test. Uh, Aaron Sloan, Susan Snyder, Ed Turner have put forward ideas like this. I'm not sure whether I think it's a completely trustworthy test. Maybe someone could program a machine to talk convincingly about mental states.
1: Well, so I'm just thinking now about Westworld. Anyone familiar with it would know that they're programmed to kind of report on these experiences. You know, they say how beautiful the sunset is and I feel happiness and things like that. They seem like they would pass this test.
0: Yeah, they programmed in the consciousness speech. Oh, God, there you go again with the consciousness speech. I feel like subjective experience could never be explained in terms of computational circuits. But uh, yeah, that's what was going on machine and reading the talk like a human book, then probably we shouldn't take it so seriously. If, on the other hand, someone tries to study the basis of our consciousness, and including the basis of the things we say about consciousness, and tries to program that into a machine. I think an interesting question is figuring out the algorithms in virtue of which we go around saying things like, I am conscious. This is what I call the meta problem. The original problem of consciousness is just how do physical processes explain subjective experience? Um, And then that doesn't look like a problem about behavior, so it looks really hard. But here's a problem about behavior, explain why we go around saying things like, uh, hey, I'm conscious, consciousness looks really puzzling. I don't see how it could be a physical process. That's a bit of behavior. I'm just like, that might be something you could explain physically or algorithmically. So lately I've been recommending this as a project for AI researchers, figure out mechanisms in virtue of which we talk about our conscious states and see if you can program those into machines, so they start displaying the same kind of puzzlement that we do. Once they do, who's to say whether they may, in fact, be conscious?
1: So if they're struggling with the idea of consciousness, well, maybe they've got it.
0: It would be a pretty strong hint, it wouldn't be proof. It's very hard to get proof where consciousness is concerned. But if they're struggling with it for roughly the same reasons in the same ways that so we're struggling with it, around that point, I would start finding it rather hard to deny that they're conscious, just as I fi- would find it rather hard to deny that another human being In this situation was conscious. I read something quite interesting where they were talking about the problem of detecting if it's
2: really consciousness or if it's simulated consciousness and I don't know if this is a helpful analogy but they were saying now we can model a weather system or a hurricane very accurately but that doesn't mean that it's going to be wet inside the computer. It's quite slippery to sort of get at the difference between
0: simulated and real. And in general we don't think that simulations are the same as reality. A simulated kitten is not a kitten it's at best a virtual kitten, a simulated hurricane is at best a virtual hurricane. On the other hand, a simulated calculator, maybe that's still is a calculator. So, okay, there are some things where if you sit, a simulation is, in some sense, the real thing, in other cases where it's not. One thing I've argued and some stuff I've written on this is that basically when something is an organizational property, which is roughly something determined by the patterns of interaction in a system, in those cases, a simulation will plausibly yield the same patterns of interaction. Um, so for these organizational properties, you'll actually get that property in a simulation. So calculation, that's one of them. Being a hurricane is a bit, it's not quite, it's got some specific physical requirements on the substrate, you know, it has to get you wet. But maybe consciousness is a kind of a substrate independent organizational property. If it is, then simulating a conscious system might actually give you consciousness. Some people, on the other hand, think consciousness depends on the substrate, requires a very specific biology. If they're right, then a simulation wouldn't give you what matters. I at least lean towards the view that consciousness is independent of the substrate and depends on the patterns of interaction. So I at least lean towards the view that consciousness here is more like, say, calculation in the sense that simulated consciousness could actually be real consciousness.
1: How do you think understanding consciousness in relation to AI might help us get a handling on the existential risks related to AI.
0: Here is one way where it might really matter. Just say it turns out that artificial intelligences and indeed artificial superintelligences are not conscious, then there's at least some serious chance that, say, artificial superintelligence develops and perhaps even, say, it takes over the world. And in the end, most or all intelligences in the world are artificial. Well, if AI systems are not conscious, that would be a world without consciousness. And you might say a world without consciousness is a pretty bleak place from the point of view of ethics, from the point of view of well-being or utility. In general, a lot of people take the view that you know consciousness is basically the source of all genuine well-being or value in the world. A world without consciousness would be a world without value. So just say every AI was to be non-conscious, well, some people have called this the zombie apocalypse, the world in which every being is an unconscious zombie, and that that might be a world without value. If, on the other hand, AI systems are fully conscious, as we are, maybe an artificial superintelligence might, in some sense, be super-conscious with levels of consciousness that go way beyond what we can imagine, that might be an outcome that's actually, in various respects, far better, just as we think human beings might have more valuable lives than Say various non-human animals with simpler kinds of consciousness. Maybe a world with artificial superintelligence could be a world with far grander and more wonderful kinds of consciousness. So, at least from an objective point of view, thinking about this, say from the point of view of a utilitarian or a consequentialist perspective, where all values grounded in consciousness, that would actually be a, a very desirable outcome. I mean, we can raise the question of whether it's desirable for us humans some people would go different ways on objectively, you might say, well, okay, if AI systems are conscious, then in general, AI is gonna be a potentially much happier outcome to think about than where AI is not conscious. We've got to figure that issue out before we uh, get to the point where AI takes over the world.
1: Consciousness, how much is it related to empathy? Does empathy stem from consciousness?
0: Empathy is, well, it's one aspect of consciousness. But another way to think about empathy, is that it's at least closely tied to perceiving and being sensitive to another person's consciousness. The cliched example would be something like, I feel your pain. Maybe real life is a bit more complicated than that. But I do think empathy is one of the mechanisms that nature seems to have built in to us to at least give us the sense that we're making contact with someone else's consciousness.
2: Might that be something that it's desirable to try and program into an AI before the singularity or the intelligence explosion?
0: Yeah, it could be. I think empathy is complicated. I think empathy is a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to empathy in human beings, for example, we tend to empathize with some systems much more than we empathize with others. We tend to empathize especially well with people who are like us and not so well with, uh, with people who are different. Maybe you know we'll tend to empathize less with uh, with AIs, especially if they seem very different. If you develop an AI system with empathy, maybe that's good for you know understanding there are mental states in others and dealing with it. but a lot is going to depend on who or what it has empathy with. you know mm. if the AI system only has empathy for other AI systems, well, probably not so great for uh, for humans. So we' might say, well, we better make sure it's got the right empathy mechanism so it empathizes with humans. Two, and then, okay, well, we've got to figure out who's conscious, so we can figure out who the AI is going to empathize with. But also, it's not the case that the only reason we ever treat anybody well is because of empathy. It's one route to moral reactions, but you could be relatively, you know, non-visceral, non-empathetic about these things. There are people who are relatively detached who do reason about these things and still seem to do a perfectly good job of treating other people well in a more sort of Kantian way. Uh, way if you're like well I just want to you know I just want to maximize well-being in everybody and who's to say that an AI that is behaving that way might not ultimately be a, uh, a better outcomes than one that just works through through empathy so yeah, empathy is maybe it's one possible path to benign AI that's at least worth thinking about very carefully but I do think it's far from clear it's the best way. I'm now
2: entertaining myself with the thought of AIs that are programmed according to different schools of philosophy and how they operate and a contest between them, but this is a little far-fetched.
0: We have a Kantian AI and a Humean AI and an Aristotelian AI, and we could uh, see how it goes. Actually, if Kant was right, as the AIs get more and more intelligent and more and more rational, they ought to become more and more moral because Kant thought that uh, morality was an aspect of rationality and that... a perfectly rational being couldn't help being perfectly moral. You might say we can test this assumption. We'll make our AIs more and more rational and we'll see if they become more and more moral. If that's true, if Kant's right, that might be very good for the future of the planet, because super intelligent systems going to be guaranteed to be super moral as well. Of course, there are a lot of obstacles to that reasoning. Plenty of people would fall on Hume's side of this matter and say you could have a being with arbitrarily good reasoning and rationality, but with arbitrarily different values. You can have a super-intelligent system that's amoral, one that's immoral, and one that's moral. People in the recent literature have sometimes called this the orthogonality thesis. That morality and rationality are orthogonal to each other. I think of that as a Humean thesis, whereas the Kantian thesis is that the two uh, the two go together. So one thing we find out is this question of whether Hume or Kant was right turns out to have very serious implications for the, uh, for the future of AI on this planet. I think that's a perfect example of why philosophy needs to be involved
1: what was it that made you interested in consciousness in the first place?
0: Oh, boy. Um, I mean, I can remember when I was just nine or ten years old, getting glasses and noticing how my subjective experience went from being kind of two-dimensional to kind of three-dimensional. And thinking, well, I understand how the mechanisms work. But how did the world just pop out in my subjective experience? That's just weird. That was a question about consciousness. I took one course in philosophy as an undergraduate student. Didn't do very well. It was the worst course of my uh, undergraduate career. Still didn't really know what this philosophy stuff was all about, but I think it really planted a seed for me and just got me thinking about consciousness and the mind-body problem, which just came to seem to me to be the most interesting unsolved problem in the world. It's the one thing that we really genuinely do not understand. It's absolutely central to our existence. We absolutely do not understand it. So for me... That seemed to me to be just the biggest unsolved problem in science, and it just drew me in. How easy or difficult have you found it working with AI researchers from obviously
2: quite a different academic background? Is it tricky or is it quite easy?
0: I think it varies a lot depending on both the person and mm-hmm. on the issue. Often AI researchers don't quite know what to make of the issue of consciousness because it's very hard to operationalize. And uh, How do you build an AI to be conscious? So my interactions with AI researchers have been Every now and then, I'll talk to them about consciousness, and that's a uh, that's a lot of fun. But uh, you know, but if you're interested, say in AI safety, in the paper I wrote about the singularity and superintelligence, I actually mostly hived off issues about consciousness and subjective experience. saying you can raise these issues just as issues about behavior. Let's understand intelligence in purely objective behavioral terms. We can uh, you know raise the question of the intelligence explosion to superintelligence staying neutral in the question of whether those super intelligent machines would be conscious or not, at least that's a further issue. I've had some fairly productive discussions with AI researchers about that. I mean, again, it really depends on the person. Some AI researchers are very nuts and bolts, not terribly interested in that kind of particular discussion. Others are much more open to it. Many AI researchers I, I found are natural philosophers. They've gotten into AI because they've got a certain logical way of thinking that, that matches up very well with the way uh, a philosopher thinks.
1: If you want to know more about this topic, David Chalmers' paper on the issue is called The Singularity, a Philosophical Analysis, published in the Journal of Consciousness Studies, 2010. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about this series, visit humanitiesxrisk.com. This podcast would not have been possible without the help and support of the Oxford Research Centre in the Humanities and the Balliol Interdisciplinary Institute.